Welcome to the Daily Progressaholic Podcast, where we provide you with advice on how to progress through your self-development journey and fall in love with the process of improving yourself spiritually, mentally, and physically. So today we have with us Steve Osher. Now, Steve is the founder and editor-in-chief at Podcast Magazine. He's a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, original founder of Liquor.com, creator of the New Media Summit, and host of Reinvention Radio and Beyond Eight Figures. The impact that Steve has had on this planet has been incredible, which is why it is my utmost pleasure to welcome him today to The Daily Progressaholic. Thank you so much, Steve, for taking the time out to be on the podcast today. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. For sure. So let's, uh, let's rewind up a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit more about your background for, your, for our listeners. As from like, so you started off with like liquor.com to sort of creating your New York Times bestselling book, What Is Your What? Just sort of founding the podcast magazine. So you've had a pretty extensive career. So let's just sort of start off a little bit of your background. Yeah. So 25 plus years uh, as an entrepreneur, started off in the nightclub world a long time ago as a DJ and then opened up my own nightclub when I was... Uh, you know, about 19. So pretty young when I opened up that one. Um, and then got into catalogs and uh, launched online really, really early on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. And uh, that company became liquor.com when I bought that domain in 98. And uh, got involved in real estate development and uh, a lot of online marketing in the personal brand world in terms of the coaching and authoring and speakering and podcasting and so on. And um, you know, it's just, it's been an interesting trek to say the least. Uh, and of late, I've really thrown my hat all in uh, into the podcast arena. And we create an event called the New Media Summit where we give uh, attendees, 150 attendees, the opportunity to take center stage and pitch 40 top podcasters on who they are and what they do. And they get booked on the spot. We okay. uh, launch Podcast Magazine, as you mentioned. Uh, and so, yeah, just, just really embracing the role, uh, as somebody who uh, has been pretty in, in, entrenched in the new media space for, uh, quite a long time. And, and now specifically just, uh, really embracing this, this whole world of podcasting, uh, on a much deeper level. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. But like, if you look at your career chart, there's been a lot of different things that sort of, um, you've explored. So what's like your one piece of advice for people that are sort of a little, um, how do I say it? A little confused or a little scared when they're trying to switch from one career to another, from one path to another. Yeah. So um, first bit of advice is just don't quit the day job. You know, there's a lot of hours in the day and you want somebody else to fund your transition. So that's, uh, that's, that's number one. I think this, the scary part for most people is just not knowing how they're going to make ends meet. Okay. You know, there's, there, you know, you can take the Tony Robbins approach of burn the boats and, you know, just go all in. Um, you know, but that's, um, What's the best way to put it? I, I think that is um, doing a huge disservice to most everyday folks. And I think it's a little disingenuous, yeah. you know, really, because um, you can burn all the boats when you still have a boat. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I think it's easy for someone in that position to say, burn all the boats and just, you know, just go straight into it. Yeah. But the reality is today, it's much harder to be able to earn enough money online and to be able yeah. to be a personal brand or to be a coach or, you know, to be in this world than it was um, just a, a short 
time ago because there's so many more people who have burned all the boats and yeah. now they have to make a living from doing it. So keep the day job, you know, until you have enough money coming in from what it is that you feel really puts fire in your soul. And, and uh, again, let them fund that transition. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that advice. Um, I think in one of your, t- oh, I just wanted to sort of like segue from that. Um, and I was able to have a, like I was able to watch your Ted talk one choice away. I thought that was super, super impactful. We spoke about in that talk and yeah. you spoke about the left and the right side of the board and mm-hmm. um, sort of how it doesn't cost us anything to be on the right side, but it costs everything to be in the left side. So if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that and sort of where that idea came from. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously out of context, no one has any idea what we're talking about. Yeah, so of course, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's really uh, what, what you're referring to is uh, a lot around mindset. And, and I used to do, I don't do it so much now, but I used to do uh, quite a bit of work with those in transition and especially those who are unemployed and just trying to help them get back on their feet and really f- identify, uh, as I call it, your what, you know, that, and that's the, the book that I put on the New York Times list, which is called What Is Your What? Uh, discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. So helping them really figure out what their what is so that they can transition out of whatever that place they were in that they didn't want to be to wherever it is more so that they felt like they wanted to go. And so what what um, the left side and the right side of the board is all about is, you know, when um, when you're unemployed and you're trying to figure out like, what do you want to do? And, and, and just, you know, I need to get a job and I need to get some money coming in and so on you've got a lot of negative emotion around that. I mean, you're scared, you're unhappy, you have fear, you know, all of those things that go hand in hand with just being in that place of uncertainty. And so the reality is that all of those are are valid. All of those feelings are valid, but they are feelings. And in the the truth of the matter is that if you walk into, as an example, if you walk into an interview, and you're feeling scared and you're feeling anxious and you have all this fear uh, and you're unhappy and you're depressed and all that, right? Like if you walk in with that way of being, yeah. how do you think that job interview is going to go? Right. It's like, you know, people are going to sense that and it's not, it's not going to go well. And so let's just say you land that job yeah. and now you're out of that place of, of fear. So what is, what is fear become? Well, fear becomes confidence. What does being scared become after you know that the money's coming in and you have that paycheck? You know, it becomes, um, you know, fearless or happy or whatever it is. And the point only being, if you look at each of those adjectives, let's just call it on the left side of the board where you've got afraid and and fearful and just, you know, uh, just uncertain and so on. And you kind of draw those down the left side of the board. And then you put a line in the middle of that. And then on the right side of the board, you switch up those adjectives to what do those turn into when you land that job or when you have money in the bank or et cetera, et cetera. And, and those become happy and joyful and loving and, you know, all of the positive things that you associate with having confidence and certainty. And, and, and the question that I ask is, you know, what, what, does it take for you to, to switch that feeling to kind of on a, you know, on a dime, flip that switch and have a different sense of, of being. And the reality is, you know, it it doesn't cost you anything 
to make that switch. Like there is literally no cost to it. It's just a mindset. It's just a flip of a switch. Yeah. But if, you, but if you aren't willing to flip that switch and come from the place of what happens on the right side of the board, yeah. then it literally costs you everything because when you carry that depressed way of being or whatever it might be around with you, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, people buy energy, right? Yeah. And, and, and energy attracts. And yeah. so that's the sort of energy you're putting out into the world. That's a lot of what you're going to get back. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was amazing. Um, thank you so much for elaborating on that. Um, there was one other really, really interesting part of the talk that you, that you, this one quote that you used, but you said, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Yeah. Um, and sort of this speaks about the idea of being sort of polarizing. Um, like how do you sort of navigate that, that line between being polarizing and sort of being downright disrespectful? Yeah. Yeah. So the quote you're referring to is a quote from Dr. Seuss. And that was one of the, the mantras that he lived by, which is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I do here. And those who mind or don't like what I do, you know, they don't, they don't matter. Yeah. And those who really matter uh, in my life and are supportive of what I do, they, they don't mind how yeah. I am, who I am. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question in terms of the fine line of, of being polarizing and really, really attracting those who you are most compelled to serve and who are most aligned with, with your message. And so I, I believe that you have the ability to, to be confident and to be polarizing without being alienating. In other words, you can, you can be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind without having to resort to being insulting or making others wrong. Yeah. And what I, what I will simply say is that at this point in my life, you know, I'm, I'm really done needing to be right because my what I might call my core values or my value set or my rules are going to be different than yours. Yeah. And because I see the world in one way and you see the world in another, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm right. It just simply means that we have different value sets, different rules that we live by. And, and your rules are no more incorrect then mine are correct. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like, I like what you said about that, about everyone sort of having seen the world from their own aspect. But there's one part about that is that when you're having a conversation with someone or you're talking to someone and at times there's a clash of egos. Um, I know you sort of reached that point where you don't need to be right anymore, but how do you even reach that point in the first place? Because I know one of the main pitfalls of a lot of people is the ego aspect where they believe that their worldview might be, might trump your worldview, for example. So how yeah, do you use? Yeah. So how, how exactly do you reach that point of not needing to be right anymore? Yeah. And, and so ultimately it's a matter of just having confidence in the rule set that you have created being the ideal rule set for you and others to live by. In other words, the people that you are going to attract, the people that you're going to have in your life are going to be people who live by a similar set of core values. They're going to be a, they're going to live by uh, a similar uh, rule set. And so ultimately you're, you're going to find yourself surrounded by people who are like-minded thinkers. 
yeah. and people who, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that a healthy debate doesn't expand one's mind yeah. and that over the, over the course of my life that I haven't shifted opinions around subjects that at one point I would have said, there's no way I would think that. And today I think very, very differently. So I think a healthy debate and a healthy dialogue is certainly uh, imperative uh, in order to expand who you are as a human being. But, you know, at the, at the end of, uh, of, of the day here, my job is not to change your mind. Yeah. And, and, and if I'm living from that standpoint where my objective is to change your mind and how you see the world, all I'm doing is trying to push my rule set, my core values onto you. Yeah. And who am I to do that? Yeah. No, that was beautiful. Um, and sort of on the boundaries aspect on like, what's, can you give us an example of someone who you feel has sort of expanded your boundaries as a human being? Oh yeah. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, from, and I've done much of the personal development work that, that many of, you know, you and your, your audience here has done. I mean, I, I went through landmark as an example. Uh, Landmark had phenomenal, phenomenal technology and training uh, yeah. around really understanding that um, where we are in our lives and how we feel about our lives uh, really is a reflection of the stories that we tell ourselves and that we are not our story. And that was, that was very impactful. I mean, I didn't go any farther than their first training, but that's all that I needed. I mean, that really, really hit home for me because up until that point, I had been convinced that who I am. It, it wasn't even in my awareness. You know, they call it your blind spots. It just wasn't even in my awareness okay. that the stories that I was telling myself were really the drivers of who I was. So that in of itself was a, was a huge shift for me. Yeah. Um, and I got what I needed and, and I didn't continue the the training and education after that. Um, you know, I, I threw a little bit of shade at, uh, at Tony Robbins, you know, just about burning the, you know, burning the boats and all burning the bridges. Um, but you know, Tony's teachings, I, I think I read unleash the power within when I was in maybe seventh grade or something like that. Um, you know, going even further back. And I know this is, um, uh, an odd, uh, book to reference, but even, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, Dianetics, uh, way, way, way back in the day. I think I read that when I was in maybe sixth grade. Like I was a very avid reader early on. Um, and I didn't agree with a lot of what was said, but there were just some interesting philosophies there. Uh, you know, how to win friends and influence people, think and grow yeah. rich. Now, uh, a lot of Vision Lakani's work at Mind Valley. Um, yeah. Brennan Burchard uh, has been an influence on my life. And I've been fortunate to share the stage uh, with a lot of those folks and even have some of those folks speak at my events. Yeah. Um, but, you know, look, the, the biggest growth that I have had on a personal level and the person who has impacted my life uh, more so than anyone else uh, is by far my wife. Okay. I mean, we've been married now since 1997. Uh, and she brings a very unique set of, uh, of rules and a very unique uh, set of, of core values to the table and yeah. very different from mine. Yeah. And I have become more her, so to speak, than she's become me. So, wow. yeah, you know, for sure, just the, uh, the biggest influence, no doubt. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, so I just wanted to speak about the idea that you said in that point about the stories that we tell ourselves. I just wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that. So 
Maybe what was, just to give our listeners a better example, what was maybe one story that you told yourself that you found out at Landmark that was completely false or like that you found was like not you basically? Yeah, and and it would be all of them, right? All of the yeah. stories, specifically the story uh, around that I have to be a certain way because this is what I learned. So whether it's around how I treat people or whether it's around my inner dialogue, you know, in terms of, you know, just any, any of the negative self-talk and we all have the negative self-talk, you know, you have no right to do this. You're worthless. You know, you shouldn't be X, Y, Z. You can't be ABC, all of those things. And so what, what became patently clear for me was that all of that inner dialogue, no matter what, it is, whether it relates to money or love or how I live and yeah. where I live and the friends that I have and the relationships that I'm able to, uh, you know, to, to attain and create and manifest yeah. businesses that I'm able to, to create, et cetera. Zero from my past has anything to do with my ability to create moving forward. Okay. And that's, that's really all it boils down to. So, you know, again, whether it's a discussion around money or a discussion around relationships, I mean, all of those things would come up yeah. as, as they do for, for all of us. And, and there's zero truth in whatever that dialogue is. Yeah. So there was one important but it works part- the opposite way. It works the opposite way too. Okay. Which is, it's not only the negative self-talk, but it's also the positive self-talk. The positive self self talk is as much of a story as the negative self talk. None of that is true, and, and that I did not learn that from Landmark. That's what I've become clear on moving forward. That the ego that drives the positive self talk is 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 an equal conspirator to drive whatever your next step is in the direction that it believes it should go, and it's letting go of both the negative and the positive where the beauty of living actually lies. Interesting. So then if you're not those stories, then if I ask who is Steve Osher, what would you say? I would say that I am a, I'm a, I'm a proponent of what I would call the one day challenge, which is, can I go to bed tonight knowing that I lived a full day? Yeah. Which means did, did I, did I do for others? Did I attempt something that I, maybe I haven't done before? Yeah. Did I, did I love on those who are, who are closest to me? I, I am whatever today is. Yeah. That was, that was beautiful. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, and sort of, I want to segue from that a little bit into your book. Um, what is your, what, um, And then one idea, so I had a little bit of a read through through it. And then one idea was that you asked readers to write about how they want to be perceived versus how they believe others to perceive them. Yeah. Now, what is the important, because I thought this was beautiful. So it was like, what is the importance of doing this exercise and sort of how can it help someone? Yeah. So what you're referring to is the, the the book is broken up into three sections. Um, So in the, in the first uh, section of the book, we talk about establishing the foundation okay. and, and, and part of the work that we do around establishing the foundation, the, what is your, what framework um, is really giving you a, a fair shot uh, of understanding 
who you are and how, and how you're naturally wired to excel. And part of those teachings is built around the framework of Dr. Thomas Gordon's four stages of learning. Okay. And so in the four stages of learning, it starts, it starts out with what is known as unconscious incompetence, which basically means that we just, we do things and we don't even realize that we're doing them. Yeah. Certain, certain things happen in our lives. They happen. We don't know why. It's as yeah. simple as that. And then it, and then it shifts to conscious incompetence where now we're like, wait a minute, that happened. And I'm aware of that happening but I have no solution for how to get to a different result, but at least I'm aware that a different result can possibly exist. Yeah. And then we move to what's known as conscious competence, which means that you then can get to your desired results, but you have to think about the process. So if I'm trying to, is is English your first language or your second language? Uh, First language. First language. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a second language? Uh, yeah. That's okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, so the point being, if, so if you try to speak a different language, yeah. typically what happens, especially as you get to be more proficient in it, is you can speak that language, but you really have to think about how to translate what's being said. And then you have to think about how to say yeah. what you want to say so you can do it. Yeah. But, there, but there's thought that goes into that process. Yeah. And then the fourth stage is what's known as unconscious competence, where we just get to our desired results without thinking about the process. So like breathing, yeah, right? Even if you don't think about breathing, yeah. you're breathing throughout the day. Yeah. And so you have attained unconscious competence as it relates to breathing, as it relates to walking, right? You just, you walk and you don't think about the process. If you start thinking about how you walk, then you're going to start stumbling and doing this, that, and the other. Um, and so the, the exercise that you're referring to, um, is called the vortex of vulnerability. And so in the vortex of vulnerability, one of the steps to help you uncover how you're naturally wired to excel and also uncover areas of your life where, uh, you you potentially may struggle. Yeah, um, is to is to recruit others to share with you what it is that they see from you, both in the positive ways um, and also potentially in what might be construed as negative ways. Yeah, because sometimes and there's a million different expressions. You know, you can't see the the label when you're inside the bottle, and you know all that crap, right? I mean, it's like whatever it is, you're just so close to it it's really hard to see it. So if you're able to separate the message from the messenger, yeah. it's a really powerful exercise of being able to uncover you know, what you may not be able to see yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the four stages of learning that you spoke about, could you maybe give us an example, like a personal example that you've seen from how you were able to reach unconscious incompetence to um, unconscious competence? Yeah. So a perfect example is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. And I've been a pr- practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, off and on since 2000. Uh, and so I've been doing it for, for quite a long time. And it, even going all the way back to uh, unconscious incompetence, it would be getting in a fight and getting pummeled and, and just not really knowing why, right? Yeah. Just, you know, it just happened. 
And then getting into a fight and being aware of the fact that, wait a minute, I'm being pummeled. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. is, is there another solution for this? Yeah. And then getting into a fight and being able to uh, have more of your way with your opponent Yes. So that you, you don't get pummeled and, and hopefully either you come to a draw or you win the fight. But, you know, you're consciously thinking about the process. I'm going to throw this right. I'm going to throw this left. I'm going to put this choke on. I'm going to do this foot lock, toe lock, I mean, whatever. Yeah. And, and then the last step uh, is, uh, again, moving into what is known as unconscious competence. Another way to think about it is muscle memory. Okay. And so now... Uh, when I am in a, a situation, you know, and even if it's just training, right? I'm not talking, I'm too old to be fighting people on the streets. So, you know, I'm just talking about on the mats, when, when we're moving into a particular situation, I, I know where that's going. I know what I need to do to respond. And, and there's no, there's no conscious thought about it. My, my body just moves into this position, moves into that position and it happens naturally and in flow with, with really zero thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And sort of, it's pretty interesting that you spoke about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like what has been sort of your biggest learning from that experience practicing that martial art over all these years? Yeah. And I will, I will say this, which is even though I've been doing it for a long time, um, every class is, is hard, right? Mm -hmm. there, there, it doesn't get to the point where, it's, it's easier. And, and what I've learned is more than anything, um, that there's just number one, always room for improvement, right? Okay. No matter how, how good you think you are at something, or no matter how much you believe that you have mastered something, there are still nuances to what you do that spell market improvements from the baseline of where you believe you've already attained mastery. Yeah. So that's, that's number one. Uh, and, and number two, I believe that the, the biggest lesson uh, learned from that is that there's always going to be uh, someone behind you on that path. And there's going to be someone in front of you on that path. Yeah. And, and really um, embracing the role of being both, both student and teacher uh, ultimately will will give you um, the, the, the strength that you need in, in order to continue to achieve whatever that degree of mastery is yeah at, that you that you seek to attain yeah that's amazing um, embracing the role of being both student and teacher would you say that applies to our daily lives as well Oh, for sure. You know, and, and I think that's part of what happens, especially when you have uh, kids is, you know, kids all want the shortcut. They, they yeah. want to know what you know, because you've seen it and you've done it. And you can provide the shortcuts, right, that they need. So when kids are asking you questions, what they're really asking you for is the shortcut. Yeah. What they're really asking you for is the knowledge that you've already attained. And, and there is that place of, of being a teacher. But what I will, will also say is that I don't think enough parents embrace the role of being a student. And what your, what your kids can teach you yeah. is massively more powerful than what you can teach them. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, 
I just want to segue from that a little bit more. So our audience is um, pretty young. A lot of them are between the ages of 20 to 30. So what do you think is probably the most um, important thing um, to focus on sort of doing differently when in your career, when you're sort of in your twenties? I do everything. Like literally don't even think about it. Right. Like get out of, get out of stage one, two, and three in the conscious competence learning stages model and just go straight to stage four, which is unconscious competence. And what that means is just don't think about the process. Yeah. When an opportunity comes to you, you do it for, for good, for bad, for worse, for better. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just don't overthink it. If something is presented to you, it's in your path for a reason. Don't question it. Yeah. Would you say that's because your risk assessment, you're able to take a lot more risk in the twenties compared to maybe when you're a little more older? Um, not only is it a, you know, do you have the ability to take a lot more risk because you have fewer responsibilities, Yeah. but also because you have the energy okay. to, to take on whatever it is that is being given to you for a reason. And yeah. You know, in, in jujitsu, what I talk about quite often um, is you, you can't teach 20-year-old strengths. Like, it just is. You know, you can have the best technique in the world, but you're never going to have 20-year-old strength but once in your life. Hmm. And, and, and this window, especially with uh, how things are now and so far as technology and yeah. being able to access so much of the world at your fingertips and to be able to go – so many places on, on a budget through the Airbnbs and through the nomad networks and, you know, those sort of things. Um, what, what I know to be true is that most of us live in a, in a fairly sheltered uh, bubble in terms of the, the immediate environment with which we surround ourselves with. Yeah. And I continually have to remind myself that there are people all over the planet who are just like we are here in the States. They just speak a different language. They look a little bit different. It doesn't, right? Like it doesn't matter what those differences are. They are exactly the same as we are. And so, especially as it relates to someone who has something to teach, don't be limited by your geographic boundaries because your biggest opportunity may not be right next door. Interesting. And as you said, like this generation has the ability to break those geographic boundaries because of the Airbnbs, because of cheaper flight tickets, because of all that. That's part of it. Sure. And it's also access to knowledge because there are people who have paved the path for you who have said, if you want to go to Sri Lanka and you want to spend a week there on $300, this is how you do it. Yeah. You know, if you want to, to move from here to there or like there's just people who have paved the path. Yeah. So the learning curve is almost non-existent. And that of course applies to anything. Yeah. Right. And so in your twenties, you know, that, that decade and even in your thirties, right. That decade, again, when your responsibilities are low, your risk tolerance can be, can be super high Yeah, as well can be, you know, the, the flexibility around who it is that you want to become. Yeah. And less you fit into the box around the definitions of, of what it is and who it is that you want to become the more fulfillment you realize. Yeah, definitely. Do you have like a personal experience um, where you sort of had an opportunity in your twenties, which you took and that completely changed your life and 
it was a risky one one, but like it definitely changed your life. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, I, I envy the, the youth of today. Okay. I mean, me in my twenties, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, a 25 plus year ago proposition. So what I had available to, to me in my twenties is very different than what you have available to, to you in your twenties. Right. For sure. And so no doubt, lots of risks were taken. I mean, the, um, the, uh, the whole shift online, in 1993, when we decided to, to look at this thing called CompuServe. Yeah. And for them, we're like, what the hell is CompuServe? Um, that's how people went online back in the day. It was these closed networks and groups and communities on these little, like it was one place. And yeah. you went there and everything that you did was in that neighborhood. Yeah. Like now you got this globe of things. Before it was one neighborhood, you took up residence in one neighborhood. Yeah. That's how it was, yeah. you know, whether it was AOL or Prodigy or, or CompuServe, et cetera. So most of the folks are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> but, but back in the day, you know, in the early 90s, it was, it, was pretty, it was pretty insane, right? To think about, I'm going to connect my computer and I'm going to go online somewhere. I'm going to talk to people that I don't know. You know, a lot of these paths have been paid for you where now it's second nature. It doesn't, you know, it's like, of course, that's what we do. Yeah. So, so that was a huge risk, you know, buying the liquor.com domain uh, in 1998. You know, it was a lot of money at the time. We paid $7,500 for that domain. And, wow. you know, at the time, it, w- it was a pretty big risk. In hindsight, it was a bargain, right? But at the time, yeah. it was a huge risk. Um. And, and so I'll just simply say that, you know, again, the, the risks that I took in, in my 20s were very different because the, the thought of living elsewhere for extended periods of time, like in my family, those, those weren't conversations that we had. Yeah. And there weren't peers that I had who were having those conversations. So the risks that I took are, are, are very different in comparison to the risks that can be taken now. But again, at the same token, you know, when, when the bar is only so high, there's only so, so far you can fall. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest difference is unless you've built up significant wealth and you're putting that wealth at risk, you know, if you've got 10 grand in the bank, great. That's as far as you can fall is 10 grand. Yeah. How quickly can you make 10 grand if, if everything just goes to hell. Yeah. If you've got kids, it's a different situation. If you've got a wife and a home and, you know, it's a different situation. But again, the reality is I I know for a fact that when you have more responsibilities, the farther that you can fall increases. So your job, especially when you're young, is to keep the depth of which you can fall fairly shallow. Interesting. Interesting. And like sort of uh, linking to the point of the risk and the depth of falling, do you believe in the idea of failure or do you just think you either win or you learn? Um, I mean, certainly you win or you learn. That's, that's true. Um, I, I look at failure as success with an unintended ending, okay. which means that things don't necessarily go as, you know, as good as you hope and they don't go as, as poorly as you might fear they will. It's always going to fall someplace right in the middle. And, you know, look, failure to me is one of those terms of ignorance that weak-minded people like to throw out at those who dare to soar in an attempt to bring them down. I mean, it's really just as simple as that. Hmm. So, uh, to me, failure is is uh, is a beautiful thing, yeah. right? And and you know, but failure is also a relative term, yeah. because when you come right down to it, in and of itself, 
it has zero meaning other than the meaning that you give it. Yeah. And if things go, don't go to plan, it doesn't mean that you failed. It just means you may have fell short of whatever that intended goal or objective was. Yeah. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for that. And one question I definitely like asking people to come on. Um, very generic question, but at the same time, I think something that can have a lot of depth to it. What is your definition of a good life? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a great question. Um, and, and, I, and I will give you my definition, yeah. uh, which, is, which is simply this. And that is, you know, there's, there's a lot of definitions of success. Uh, I really like George Sheehan's definition, which I think um, goes back to the conversation around how would I define a good life. Um, and George said that the definition of success is having the courage, the determin- uh, determination, and the will to become the person you were meant to be. Okay. And, and I believe that if you wake up every day and with strategic abandon, try to put forth the person that, that you were meant to be. Yeah. You hold as true to that as you possibly can without hurting others in the process. Yeah. You'll have a really good life. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And what would you say you're personally looking forward to for 2020? Uh, I, I will say that I'm pretty excited about what we're doing uh, with Podcast Magazine. Uh, I will say that I'm pretty excited about being able to sit down with uh, people that I otherwise wouldn't have access to, you know, some of the biggest players in the world. I mean, just, just sat down with Katie Couric and Dave Ramsey and Adam Carolla and, you know, on and on. They're, uh, they're all opening their arms, opening their doors to what we're doing with the magazine. Uh, and I'm, as, I, as I said, I'm, I'm a student. I, you know, I love to learn. And so being able to learn at the highest level uh, is something that has me really excited. That's incredible. That's incredible. And sort of, cause we're, of course we're on a time crunch here. Could you just tell listeners where they can reach you? Yeah. I mean, look, best place is um, just go to the magazine, podcastmagazine.com. If you're into podcasts and podcast culture, uh, that would be a great place to start. Um, maybe if that's not your bag, I would say grab a, a free copy of the New York times bestseller. What is your, what, uh, at what is your, what.com. And, uh, either way you'll be on the mailing list. Either way we'll keep you posted. Uh, on what's going on in this world. Sure. Perfect. That's amazing. Anyways, Steve, again, thank you. Thank you so much for all the value you dropped to us um, in this episode. It really, really means a lot. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. If you liked any part of that, please, please, please leave us a review. It will mean the world to us. And please let us know your thoughts, how you think we can improve and continue providing more and more value to our community because we are here to serve you and make sure that you have the best time possible and really kill it in your self-development journey. Thank you very much.